0: Well, good morning, Bedrock. How's everyone doing? You excited to be here this morning for a brand new serving series? All right. Well, good. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock. And we are so glad that you decided to come here and be with us this morning. And we are jumping right into a brand new series on church hurt. And honestly, if you have no church hurt, one, you're probably an anomaly. But two, um, the, the principles and things that we're going to learn in this series apply to life. Like It goes beyond just us in the church. It can go into all parts of your life because, man, I don't know if you've noticed, but like we're struggling with hurt in our society and in our culture. And so today, um, what we're going to do is we're going to be introducing this series, and we're going to look at it from a unique way. So today, we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with people who had church hurt. But the rest of the series, we're actually going to look at how Jesus dealt with church hurt. Because everything that we're going to talk about in this series, Jesus experienced during his life here on this earth and how Jesus responded to that. And let me just like if you've been alive for about 30 seconds, you know that life is full of hurt and and it's hard And, and it's not so much how to insulate yourself so that you never get hurt again, but it's how to help us be resilient through the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to be resilient to the hurt that we do receive. And so here's what I want to say uh, to kind of caveat this. One is you're not going to hear from this stage that your hurt isn't real and that it isn't genuine. You're going to hear us say, yes, in the church and people have failed along the way. But I also want to encourage you with this. A lot of us attach the hurt that we receive from people with Jesus and with God. And God and Jesus has never failed anyone. God and Jesus has never hurt you, but sometimes his people do. And so we want to help give perspective to that uh, idea. Because how many of us know that um, life is really about, at times, seeing what we expect to see? And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We want to put a new perspective on how we live life within the church when we have experienced church hurt. Because let me just tell you, um, in this life, you will see what you expect. So I have a little game for us to start the morning. Um, Some of you will remember some of these pictures, but I really believe this. You will find what you are looking for. And so if you're looking and expecting to find hurt and shame and guilt and fear and anger and all of these things, I guarantee you, you you'll see it. And actually, uh, science has a term for this. It's called a preconditioned uh, or motivated perception. And it's really an interesting part within motivated perception. There's also what's called motivated reasoning that you will believe in what you are predisposed to believe. You will find uh, uh, ways of disassociating things that are negative or positive with your preconceived beliefs. So let me give you an example of what this looks like. Uh, Go ahead and take up the first picture. How many of us remember this drama This almost split our country into a civil war. All right, so here's a question. Who sees this dress as black and purple? Just raise your hand. Black and purple. How many? Cody, you need to count again. It's not good. Four. Okay, okay, good. How many people see the dress as white and gold? How many of us? Okay, that's the majority. Anybody else see different colors? Okay, you might need to go to the doctor. I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> that's a good way for us to let you know we're praying. Um, uh, so here's the deal. The legit color of this dress, by the way, I see it as black and, and like purple or blue. Okay. Can I just give you guys like the so we've, science has solved the mystery. Okay. The actual dress that was taken in a department store is black and blue. Okay, I know that that's crazy, but here's the deal. This is what science, because they were like, why is this a phenomena in our country? Because how you are predispositioned to perceive light will determine how you see the dress. So like, we're not lying. Like you're not lying. Like you see white and gold and other people see black and blue, but you're preconditioned to see something. And how many of us saw something different? They, there's no trickery. It's just a picture. I took off the internet. It is real. Like, okay, so let me give you guys another uh, example. You guys like this? Okay, good. Let's give you another example of what can happen here. This is called the and gas, uh principle or dilemma. So let me just ask you guys this. So my, your left, my right. Okay. On the left or the right, which of the two pictures has a larger orange circle? So if you're on the right side, raise your hand. Some of you are nervous. You're like, I, uh, Pastor Blake's going to call me out. How many it's on the, on the left? How many see it as the same size? They are the same exact size. Your preconceived and conditioned perception will determine what you see. And I think that this is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, because here's the reality. If you are preconditioned to perceive hurt and pain, it is what you will see. It is what you will find. It is what you will seek out. Let's do one more example here. This is a really old school one. Okay, Uh, this isn't my drawing. Okay, so no one, okay. All right, so here's a question. How many of us in the room see a horse? A horse, okay. How many of us see a seal? How many of us see another animal? What do you see? A donkey. Okay, like a horse, yeah, donkey. Okay, good. I kind of see like a rabbit. Okay, good. Here's the deal. We just, if you see what? Uh, is there a doctor in the, uh... (laughs) um, you're probably just ultra perceptive. That's really good. You're open to what's happening, but here's the deal. Uh, some people see, uh, the, the horse, some people see donkey. Some people see a rabbit. Some people see a seal. In fact, the researchers, when they established this, they only thought that there were two animals in it, a horse and a seal. And you just told me two more (laughs) animals and here's the deal. We're in the same room experiencing the same moment, experiencing the same picture, and we saw different things. And how those things impacted us made a difference. And so here's what I want us to look at today. Your hurt in this room through church or life is genuine. No one's here to tell you that you're wrong because here's the reality. Perception is reality, and what we see and what we experience can become a reality, but how many of us need to have some tools in our toolbox to begin to maybe take another perspective to see our hurt and see some of the things that go on in our life a little bit differently? Because here's what I truly believe about hurt. Uh, It is genuine, it is real, and it is deep, and the reality is, is hurt blinds us to a lot of things. And so today what we're going to look at is at a, as a, at a lady in the Bible um, that has experienced tremendous hurt. In fact, some of the hurt is cultural. Some of the hurt is of our own doing. And guys, we experience like some of us our poor choices and the things that we do in life, they do result in hurt and we have to live with that. But the reality is, is when we read the scriptures, God is not here to heal us just for heaven. That God has come to give us life now and to give it abundantly and fully. And for a lot of us, we're missing what's right in front of us because of the hurt that's blinded us. And so the only way that I know to get through that is to begin to look at the world through gospel glasses. And go, what has God done in this world and in my life to help me in This moment. So we're going to be going into John chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 4. If you don't, there's free Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. You can have a Bible there. And don't worry if you don't want to do that. It's on your phone probably or on the screens in the room. But let me give you a little bit of cultural context about what's happening in this passage. We've preached on it multiple times. This is one of my favorite passages. In fact, the last group uh, that we took to Israel, we took them to this well where we're going to find ourselves this morning. But uh, we're going to enter into a story in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is going to go to a place called Samaria. Everyone say Samaria. In fact, we have a term in our culture, right? The good Samaritan. This comes from a story in the scriptures. That story is way more impactful when you understand the cultural understanding of Samaritans of the time. Let me give you a little history lesson on the Samaritans. The Samaritans are of um, Jewish and pagan ancestry. So what happened is, is when Israel went into captivity with Babylon, God commanded, do not marry and have children with the Babylonians. But some people did. And those people and their offspring are called the Samaritans. The Samaritans kind of didn't fit in either world, the Babylonian or the Jewish world. In fact, in Judaism, the Samaritans were looked at as kind of half-bred less than people. Guys, we have these kinds of problems in our culture currently. This is still an issue that we don't see people for the the value that they have because they are created in the image of God. We begin to tack on things of value that are actually meaningless. And so what would happen during this time is that um, Jewish teachers and people would avoid Samaria at all costs. We're not going to go to that place where those people are. Why? Because they are ceremonially unclean. All of these things begin to happen. And let me just tell you, they had a cultural lack of belonging. They were ostracized as a group of people for simply being born in a specific place. And we can relate to this, right? We, we have these kinds of issues in our current culture. And some people who come into church feel like, man, I don't belong to that culture, so I'm ostracized from that culture. Let me just tell you, when I became a Christian and I started going to church, I didn't grow up in church. And so I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand, like, how Christians um, said certain things. I didn't know the right words to say. In fact, I was saying a lot of the wrong words. Because I grew up in a different culture. And there was parts of me that when I came into the church, I just didn't culturally fit in. I didn't know Christianese yet. Right? I didn't know the right words to say. Like when I came into church and someone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, man, it's not good. My life is tough. And people were like, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, blessed beyond measure, brother. Right? Like, better than I deserve. That's a, oh, great. Right? And they move on. And so I began to feel in my own life in the beginning this feeling of separation and not belonging and a little bit of hurt because I felt like I never actually belonged. That changed over time and I realized like I belong because I'm a son adopted by our father in heaven who has believed in Jesus Christ. So I'm in the family. And so what happened is is. The Samaritan woman is comes from a culture that doesn't belong, but then some things have happened in her life that have resulted in her not belonging in within her own culture. The Bible says that, and uh, we'll see in just a minute. But she's been married over five times, and the person she's with now she's not even married to. And a lot of us would say like some thing, Wow, some things have gone on in your relationships. Some things have happened and marriage was held into a very high regard during this time. In fact, um, Jewish rabbis would not marry a person beyond three times. And the reason they got divorced would have to be death. And they said, like, beyond three, that's too much. And so we're, we're talking to a lady who's been ostracized by her own culture and the culture that is surrounding her. There's a lot of hurt here. There's a lot of trauma here. There's a lot of despair here, but God is going to do something, and Jesus is going to do something in this story that I think is so encouraging for all of us because the way that he interacts with the woman at the well, I believe is so many times how he interacts with us through our heart. And let me just give you the first point of today's message. And here's the reality. For the woman at the well, she experienced this, Not belonging will leave you wanting. And for a lot of us, the hurt that we experience in this life is because we don't belong somewhere. We don't have relationships. We don't quite speak the same. We, we are obviously not part of the in crowd. There's parts of our life. And let me just tell you, when you don't belong, it hurts. Anyone as a kid knows like what it's like to get picked last or not at all at recess. Right, we, we know what it's like to those friends went and hung out and didn't call us. We, we've, we've experienced those things. We know what it's like to not really belong to the small group or not to belong to, to church and I'm just kind of on the outside of things or maybe you're keeping yourself on the outside of things because the hurt and rejection that you experienced before. Because let me just tell you, at the root of not belonging is rejection. And when we feel rejection it cuts us really deep down to the core of who we are. It is detrimental to us. I think that that's why it's so important that Christ says, I accept you. You belong. You're in the family. You've been adopted. And every right of being in the family of God now belongs to you. You belong here. That's why we say like, welcome home or you belong here. Because we really mean that. No matter your background, no matter what you're going through, no matter what life has done, you belong here. Because God's church and his family is built for everybody. And so what happens to the woman at the well is she begins to to leave and, and she enters this situation in a sense of wanting. John chapter four, verse one, look at what the Bible says. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. This is really important. Judea is in the Southern part of Israel. Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. In order to get from Judea to Galilee, there's this area called Samaria. What's interesting about this is that you didn't have to go through Samaria to get back to Galilee. You could go out to the coast and cut up the coast and then cut over and you avoid Samaria all of the time. It's taken the long way to avoid what may be an uncomfortable situation for many Jewish people, especially when you talk about ceremonial cleanliness and things like that. And so Jesus, the, the disciples in, in the text opens up and goes, okay, Jesus is going to go from Judea to Jerusalem. And a lot of us would go, okay, so he's going to go up the coast, right? Look at what the Bible says. So he left and went to Judea and went back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I already told you he didn't have to go through What the text indicates and what John is pointing out to you and I here is that there is a divine appointment that Jesus could not miss. That he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Samaria. This is really important. Because a lot of us think that God will not meet us in the darkest, worst places of our lives. But the Bible indicates that Jesus is compelled and has to go through Samaria. If you were reading during this time, you'd be like, no, there's another way. You didn't have to do that. But Jesus had a meeting at a well. Jesus was going to meet someone who was hurting so deeply in her life. He had to go. So he came out to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, some of us can relate to midday issues. Like in Florida, if you're going to go do yard work, We don't go like, let's start at noon, right? It's like, let's start at 6 a.m. Or let's start at dusk, right? Because we know, especially now, there's no A.C. outside and it's hot. And you are going to be brutally dealt with in the heat. The Bible is indicating for us that Jesus shows up at noon and this lady is coming at the worst time of day. What does that say to you and I? She's hurting, and she's avoiding people. Her hurt is so bad that she would choose to go to the well in the hottest time of the day to avoid people. That's hurt. That's isolation. That's not belonging. That's a lot of rejection. And some of us in this room can relate with that. We avoid our friends. We avoid people. We avoid circumstances because... We feel rejected. We have things going on in our life where we're alone. And I'm just going to tell you, like, you weren't built to be alone. But a lot of us isolate ourselves because of the hurt that we've experienced. This is what we say. It's better to be alone than it is to be hurt by others. It's better to be alone than to deal with the stares, to deal with the comments, to deal with the questions, to deal with all of those things. It's better that I just do this at the hardest time. So I won't see anybody. Let me ask you. How many of us are hurt from our past. Has made you feel like you don't belong. Has made you feel like you were rejected. And you are avoiding. People. Places. Like I guarantee you. I'm talking to somebody online right now. And if you are online. You're welcome here. You're not alone. You don't have to participate alone. This is a church and a house and a family that's for you. But as we come into this place and we are here in this moment, we realize like rejection and that feeling of not belonging leads to wanting. And so many of us don't want to feel that again. So we'll build our lives around hurt and we'll develop our lives not around God and what he has, which is best for us. But we develop our lives around the hurt and how to avoid it. And a lot of us, the reason we're not getting to our healing is because we're so focused on our hurt. Because really, to move forward in life, you can't be walking away backwards from your hurt. You have to be walking towards something greater. This is the picture that the Bible gives us. And so I kind of feel like if I was going to give a definition here of, of the way that the woman at the well is walking, she's walking backwards from hurt. She's avoiding hurt at all costs, but not really walking towards healing. So the story opens up here, and it gets really good. Uh, Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So Jesus is sitting by the well, and now here comes this Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, notice that Jesus speaks to her first. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives context here, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What we see, I think, in the beginning of the introduction of the Samaritan woman to Jesus is this. Past hurt will cause us to question the best of intentions. Jesus is being friendly. Jesus is sitting at a well, which is probably the greatest reminder of all of the things that have gone wrong in her life. Has anyone in here ever gone gone to something or has a place in their life that it's always just a reminder of how bad things went? That would be for her. Every time she went to the well, carrying a jug daily, she was reminded of all of the things that had gone wrong in her life. And how many of you want to meet a friendly face in the darkest place of your life? You don't. I guarantee you she was walking and she looked up and saw Jesus and was like, Oh, really? I just want to be here alone. I don't want to have to deal with anyone. I don't need the looks. I don't need the questions. I don't need anything else. Notice Jesus didn't say, why are you showing up now? Where's your friends? No, what Jesus does is he gives her immediate value because he asks her of something. Do you realize when people ask you of something, they give you value? Because what they're saying is, is you can, can, can do for me what I cannot do for myself. That gives people instant value in this world. Right? Like some of the things, like reasons why we're asking you guys to serve is not just because we need help serving. You have value in this kingdom. You have value in this house and you can find and serve and see that you are valuable, that you're important. you're important to this church. You're important to God and, and who you are, no matter what's gone in your life, you are a person of value. Jesus gives her instant value, but notice she does not see the best of intentions and begins aggressively to talk to him. How can you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan woman? How? How? How can you ask me for a glass of water? Your people don't even talk to my people. Your people won't even come through town because of how messed up we are. And here I am at noon. How can you even talk to me? Hurt is like a sunburn. The moment someone touches it, you get an overreaction. That's exactly what happened for her. The moment that Jesus asked her a question, hey, could I have a drink of water? kind of not intrusive. How can you do that? How could you ask me? How can you do these things? And let me just tell you something. I will tell you, you have unhealed hurt in your life when you assume the worst of intentions. And when you assume the worst of intentions of people, you will also miss the people with the best of intentions. And do you see how hurt robs us? Do you see how hurt can begin to take us away from the things that are truly good for us? for the things that can truly bring us life and the things that can truly begin to help us on our healing process? Because here's the reality. The one person who can heal her in this universe is talking to her and she's missing it. And it's not to say that all of the hurt that she experienced before wasn't real. It was, but the one who could heal her was right in front of her and she was missing it. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we trust everyone to the fullest degree? No. No. What it does mean is we're discerning. We're open and cautious, but we're open. Jesus, all he did was ask her for a drink of water. Look at how the, um, the text continues. Jesus answered her and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the imagery of living water in the Bible is huge, okay? Living water meant clean, pure, life-giving water. But what it also represents in the Bible is cleansing. What is Jesus saying to her? If you knew who you were talking to, and it's not like, if you knew who you were talking to, it's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't really be worried about getting me a drink. You'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And let me just tell you something. For someone who's gone through as much as she has, the idea of being cleansed is probably scary and almost feels too good to be true. I don't know if you feel like that in this room. I don't know if you feel like God has offered you living water in his presence and who he is through salvation in him. And it feels like I'm scared of this because my past hurt makes me not believe in the best of intentions. And let me just tell you, all that God has for you is the best of intentions. He has perfect intentions for you, but also it will cause us to miss in what is going on, and it will cause us to be wanting, and we won't believe what is coming into our life. And Jesus is offering her the one thing she needs most. And so what happens is the Samaritan woman, look at how she responds to Jesus. Jesus. She says, um, you asked me for a drink and do all these things. And she says, sir, the woman said, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Here's what she's saying. You're a crooked used car salesman. I've heard this old pony show. Men in my past have promised me a lot and always underdelivered. When you've had five husbands and the guy you're sleeping with now isn't your husband, there's probably been a lot of promises and under-delivery. There's probably been a lot of hurt and pain and rejection and fear. And so here's Jesus saying, hey, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water and I would give you living water. And she says, really? Living water? You don't even have a bucket, buddy. Where are you going to get that water, bud? I've met guys like you before. And see the hurt of the past from men of the past and people of the past and rabbis of the past and just start naming all of these labels for her were unsafe people. Were people who hurt her, who, who, who used her, who probably abused her. And so she goes, man, I'm not buying the snake oil, buddy. I'm not buying what, you don't even have a bucket. How am I going to get living water, pure water? How is that even going to happen? Because let me tell you what hurt does to us. Past hurt will cause us to be cynical. So not only will we miss the best of intentions, but past hurt will make us believe the worst of intentions. To be, that's too good to be true. That's impossible. There's no way someone would be that good. You're a stranger. You don't even know me. All you know is that I showed up in the middle of the hottest part of the day by myself to get water. So you and I both know that my life is messed up. And what Jesus did is first he gave her value. He respected her and said, I see you as a person. But then when he starts to give her good news, she goes, that, good, that news is too good. I don't believe that. And I think a lot of people in this world have rejected the good news of Jesus Christ because a lot of other things that promised would, that would save them in their life didn't. And so they have a question mark, a big question mark as to whether Jesus actually can. To them, it's not the good news. It's the too good of news. so you telling me that all I have to do is confess And believe in Jesus Christ and turn from my sin and walk towards Him, and everything that has gone wrong in my life will be washed away. I will be pure as snow and I will inherit the kingdom of heaven? That's it? Too good. That's too good news. And what you're telling me is you've grown cynical. And how many of us, our relationships with our kids, with our family, uh, of, of others in this world, of the church, in this life, it's one of distrust. Because of the hurt that you've experienced. Because of the pain that you've experienced. So now you're distrusting. You know what I notice with kids? Kids have to learn to be distrusting. You have to teach your kids to be distrusting. Somewhere along the way, the hurt and pain of this life will cause our kids to become cynical and distrusting because of the hurt and disappointment that they've experienced. All of us can relate to this moment. Where in your life, because of the past hurts that you've experienced, are you cynical? Are you distrusting? And maybe your prayer life in the way that you talk to God or the way that you talk to other people or letting your actual needs be known or maybe your actual past and the things that you're struggling with in this life, you can't let those things out in this church or any church with people who say that they belong to God because you've been betrayed in the past. We're going to get into that in about two weeks about betrayal. And so what happens is we grow cynical, we grow angry, we grow bitter, and all of these things lead to what I would call spiritual death. But not only that past hurts can cause us to run to the blessing rather than the blesser. And I think this is where our culture is because we live in a spiritual culture we don't necessarily live in a Christian culture. We're looking for all the benefit and not needing to know the person, not needing to know the one who blesses. John chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says this, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This sounds good. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I may know you, so that I may do all of these things. No, look at what she says. So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I just don't want to come back to this hell anymore. I do not want to come back to this pain, this shame, this guilt, this fear, this anger, this rejection, this isolation. I just don't want to be here. The water sounds great because the only thing that it does is keeps me from hurting anymore. The emphasis isn't even on the eternal life. It's not on what the goodness of the water produces. It's what it keeps us away from. Let me just tell you, an an emphasis on hurt in your life is when everything is about you getting away from hurt and not walking towards joy. Jesus says, look, I want to give you eternal life so much so that the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. It will spring up within you, overflow within you. It is in abundance. And her response is, can you give me that water so that I just don't ever have to come back here? And I wonder if a lot of us have tried, I call that Jesus light. Hey, I'm going to need the blessing. I don't need you. Because you've disappointed me a few times in my prayer life. You've disappointed me a little bit in in how things went. I'm a little bit disappointed in the people that you call your church. I'm a little bit disappointed in the sons and daughters that you've adopted. So I'd like the healing, but I really don't want anything to do with you. This is where we want the blessing, but not the blesser. But let me just tell you something. The blessing is not the blessing without the one who gives it. And the true blessing is knowing the one who can continually and always give. And so she says, I want the blessing without the blesser. And Jesus goes, actually, this won't work out very well for you. We call this seeking the hand of God rather than the face of God. But when you really know who God is and you sought him and you are with him, you begin to be healed and the blessing is the healing and what it produces in your life. And so what happens is, is not only does that happen, but past hurts will cause you to conceal what is really there. I think that this is a lot of us in the room. If I'm honest, a lot of us wear our church hat or our church mask, our Christianese mask. And we have the right words because we've learned the culture. But we really don't allow ourselves to belong to a community because, man, if they only knew what was really here, they would never want me. They would never want me. But yet Jesus shows such a different story because he's there. He's with her. Look at what the Bible says as Jesus opens up the story. Verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She responds, I have no husband, she replied. That's true. It's just not the whole truth. So Jesus lovingly, and I want you to notice this, lovingly. Because this is going to feel like a call out when this is actually a call of grace. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, you're all right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. That looks like a call out. That to more like to me looks like an act of grace. And here's why. He's still sitting at the well. He's still talking to her. He knew all of that about her. And he started the conversation. He's kept talking to her. And as she's spoken to him in bitterness and anger and shortness, not understanding all that God is offering her. Jesus knew the worst of her the whole time. Jesus understood, believe me, that you are showing up here in the middle of the day at this desperate, desperate place by yourself because I know the shame you carry. I know the guilt you carry. I know the hurt that you carry. And I had a divine appointment to meet you right here. In her greatest place of shame, in her greatest place of guilt, in her greatest pain of hurt, Jesus showed up. That's such an act of grace because some of us feel like God wants the cleaned up version of you. He wants the messed up, jacked up, terrible, awful version of you because he wants to make you whole. He wants to heal you. He wants to rescue you and to save you. He meets you at the well. But a lot of us, we've begun to share our story and it was just too much for other people to handle Oh, those details were too awful. Man, that thing was too much. And so what we look at is go, when you don't see me for who I really am and the things that I've really gone through and been through, now I feel rejected. I don't want to feel that rejection again, so I'm going to bottle this up and I'm going to put it way deep down in my soul. But how many of us know that's exactly how cancer starts? It starts with a cell, a group of cells way deep down that are sick, and they are undealt with, and they grow. Let me just, everyone says healthy things grow. So do unhealthy things. Hurt, let me just tell you something, it grows. Because let me just tell you, hurt happens in generalities, healing happens in specifics. Because some of us in this room are hurt because of what our teachers said to us. 25 years ago, but we still get hurt now when people don't say the exact same things, but things around it. That's how hurt works. It's like a shotgun shell. But to heal it, we don't just heal the symptoms. We heal the core. That's what Jesus does. And you need a laser for that. And so what happens in this story is she begins to conceal her real hurt, what's really there. And what is concealed cannot be healed. We have to have faith and trust in God and who God is to let some things go and to be open up. This is who I am. And what Jesus told her is, I know who you are and I'm still here at the well. I'm still here with you. I haven't left you. Listen to what one commentator says is this. When she says, I have no husband, that was formally true. If her five husbands were all deceased and or divorced. But doubtless, her intention was to ward off any further probing of this sensitive area of our life while masking the guilt and the hurt. Hurt will cause you to conceal things in your life so that you don't experience these hurts again, you don't go through these things again, and so that now you're isolating it and things grow. <clears throat> but not only does past really cause you to conceal, but past hurts can make that call to grace feel like a call out. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he said, what you said is very true. The man you're with now is not your husband and you've had five others. That's not a call out. He's not going like, you're awful. What Jesus is saying to her is I see everything. I know everything and I'm still here and you're still here and you haven't been hit with lightning. You haven't been stoned to death. You haven't been cursed out. All I did was ask you for a glass of water. And I gave you value that no one else in your life was. And the church and the people and the religious people of the day have all rejected you. And it's led you to a lot of church hurt, a lot of religious hurt. But I'm here because I'm greater than that. And I love my kids, but my kids don't always behave the way that I would and that I do. And so I'm here to heal that. I need to give you a new perspective. Because everything that the woman is seeing is what she expects to see and not what is actually right in front of her. So she quickly begins to uh, change the subject because let me just tell you something. Past hurts will cause you to look for a fight because fights give you justification as to why you aren't opening up as to why you're not belonging, as to why you're not attending. So, so what she does is she goes, I'm not seeing what I'm expecting, so now I need to manifest it. Anyone ever do that in here? You're not. People aren't, aren't responding the way that you expect them to respond, so you elicit the response that you expect. So what does she do? She does what most people do. She goes into a theological argument. Sir, the woman said. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, really nice language there, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You guys say this, we say this. Jesus does not get baited. I'm not gonna fight with you. What Jesus says is there's something so much better coming than what you just said. Jesus, he says, woman, this is not a term that is derogatory. We would read it that way. This is a term of respect. Jesus, notice what Jesus says to his mom when he's on the cross. Woman, behold your son. Same word Jesus used for his mom, he uses here. So this is a term of respect. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father's the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. When we are hurt, when we don't see what we are expecting, we will pick a fight. And notice what Jesus does is, I'm not here to fight with you. There's something so much better coming. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about you. I'm here to talk with you. I'm here to talk to you. You know, you've been in those arguments when, when you're like married or, or you're in a relationship or you have a friend and you're, you're kind of beginning to lose the argument and you're not seeing what you expect. So you say, well, remember what happened five years ago? Remember that? Remember that, Bill, right? And then it's like, what does that have to do with this? Well, I don't know, but I'm not over that. You're awful. See ya. You know, what happened? You just, you, What happened? You're expecting hurt. You're not getting what you expect. And so you elicit it. I can't remember the movie, but it was this this couple fighting. And uh, it was a guy and and, uh, a husband and wife. And for some reason, the husband, like, I guess he must have yelled a lot in the past, but he wasn't this time. And so she's like screaming at him and he's being super calm. And she looks at him and she says, "Will you just yell already. Will you just yell already? And he's like, no. That's exactly what hurt looks like. I just expect this because when I can deal with the hurt, I don't really have to deal with what's deep down. When I can just elicit more hurt, I don't have to deal with what's really there. I can just superficially deal with this pain. And so here's what happens to us. This is why we're talking about church hurt. Because hurt will keep us from believing the good news that is right in front of us. The woman opens up and says this, The woman said, "I know the Messiah, I know that the Messiah called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, "I, the one whom you are speaking to, I am He." The whole time, Jesus is telling her all of these things. Jesus is, is showing him all of these things. Jesus is, is like he, he knew her whole story. In fact, even in part of it, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. I wonder how many of us are missing the good news that is right in front of us because of the perspective that we have. And what you have experienced is true and real, and we're not here to tell you that it's not. What I'm here to tell you is, is don't let that hurt shift your perspective to keep you from your healing. Don't let that hurt keep you from meeting Jesus. Don't let that hurt keep you from being part of a godly, loving community of believers. And that's why we started with this, because this is how Jesus deals with hurt people. This is how Jesus deals with you and I. In the next few sermons, we're going to see how Jesus dealt with his own hurt. Because here's the reality. How did Jesus deal with the Samaritan woman? Jesus' loving, patient presence is what began to open her up to the good news that was right in front of her. John chapter four, 28 and 29. This is what the Bible says. This is such a beautiful picture. Then leaving her water jar, the burden. This is a image of burden. Carrying that water jar to the well every week was awful. That weight was much heavier than the weight of the jar. And the Bible says that she dropped her jar. She let go of her burden. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This is a rhetorical question. What she's saying is, he is the one. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And the Bible indicates that thousands of Samaritans believe in Jesus Christ, because he spent time with one woman who had extreme hurt. And by his patient presence in the midst of her hurt, she was healed. And I wonder for how many of us in this room, you need to realize Jesus is waiting at the well. Jesus is sitting at the well of your hurt and your pain whether it's from the church or outside or even self-induced. And we a lot of us get to the well and it's like, I didn't want to see you here. I don't really want to deal with you. I don't belong in your church and in your family. I am so angry and tired of this. I am so hurt. I can't deal with this. I am dismayed. I am disturbed. I am hurting and I am angry. And I don't want to deal with you. And so we miss what is right in front of us. The whole reason we started the message is because all of us saw at the beginning in those pictures what we were conditioned to see. And let me tell you something that's the tactic of the enemy. How did Satan get Adam and Eve to fall? He introduced hurt. Oh, see, God doesn't want you to be like him. I'm rejected, I don't belong all of a sudden. I'm on my own. And let me just tell you, hurt will keep coming. And you will find it because it's what you are expecting to see in his family, through him, through people in this world. And let me just tell you something. You will continue to be hurt because it's what you're expecting to see. But what if what we expect to see is God's goodness and God's grace through imperfect people? What if we all really just believed in this room for just a second that we're all just a bunch of reformed sinners? And we've hurt ourselves and we've hurt others. And that we're not going to get it right all the time, but Jesus is right all of the time. And some of us in this room, to get through hurt, some of you need to apologize to people you've mistreated. Some of us in this room, we need to forgive ourselves. Some of us in this room, we need to trust again. And so as we get ready to end this morning, here's what I'm going to ask. I know this is a heavy morning. We had people crying last night. I was crying last night. I know that this is heavy, and you know why it's heavy? Because the hurt's in the room. Because we're all identifying with something in the moment. I know it. Because for a lot of us, if we didn't have any hurt, we'd be like, why are we we here? This doesn't mean anything. But the reality is, is on this side of heaven, it's not going to be perfect. But Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And so in the next few messages, what we're giving you now is the perspective shift that you need In the next few messages, we're gonna give you the tools that you need. Because I can give you all the tools on how to deal with hurt. But if you haven't found a way to find healing, then it's just like I gave you a hammer and you don't know where to put the nail. You're like, cool, I don't, what, what are we even building? That's what this message was. And so here's what I wanna do. My prayer is this. I know in this room, um, that for some of you, I represent the, the hurt that you've so experienced. I know that. Like I, listen, I show up on a plane. People ask me what I do. It's one of two responses. Oh, pastor. Or it's like, uh," and the headphones go in. So I know like in this room and I'm, I never even met them. So I'm like, there's hurt. Okay. Um, I know that for some of you, you've been betrayed by pastors. I know that for some of you, you've had terrible leadership. I know that for some of you, you have dealt with uh, hurt from church, hurt from people. I know that that's what's holding you back from really jumping in. I know that. And so here's what I'm going to ask us. Just, can I make a request of you guys? I'll I'll make a promise and then a request. I promise you, I'm going to give you everything I got. I promise you that I am going to walk through this as your pastor with you the best that I can. I will not always get it right, but here's my request. In these next few weeks, will you at least be open up, like an open to some healing? And I know that I might represent all of the pain. Would you give me a chance to prove it wrong? And would you give Bedrock a chance to prove it wrong? And would you give this church a chance to prove it's wrong? And ultimately, would you give God the opportunity to prove your conceptions and preconceived notions wrong and that you really can be healed? And the hurt can be there, but it doesn't have to affect you. It doesn't have to control you. And so, uh, Cody, do we have a song or Danielle or someone? Thumbs up, okay. Um, (laughs) You can tell my mind's on the message. I'm with you, church. These next few weeks may be tough, but I promise you really tough things produce really wonderful things. And so we're going to find the healing and God's got something for all of us in this room. So would you join me in praying as Cody leads us in just a second? God, we love you. We are so thankful for your word and your truth. God, we thank you for the Samaritan woman. God, that you so graciously and patiently sat with her in your patient, presence is what began to open her mind and her eyes and her ears and her heart to you. And so, Lord, I believe right now that you are patiently present in our hurt. And you're there and you're ready to talk and you're ready to go through some of this and you're ready to heal. And so, God, I pray for supernatural shift in perspective today. I pray for supernatural eyes and ears and minds to perceive the goodness of who you are. And that, Lord, today we would trust you. We would lean into you. And that throughout this next week and these next few weeks, God, I pray that you heal our hurt because it's real and it's genuine. But you are our healer. And so, God, I pray that we find life in you. I pray today as we worship that it will be a song of victory, of praise, of calling out to you. God, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?